listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading for today is Mark 13, 28-37. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or at cock crow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Zach, for that reading. It's great. So um, I posted about this on Facebook this past week, and I know a number of you saw it already because you teased me about it at the, <laughs> at the Arts Fest. Um, but I had a really interesting exchange with my four-year-old son uh, this past week. See, so you guys know where this is going. Um, it was Monday morning. Uh, we were getting ready to head out uh, for school for the kids and work. Uh, for me, uh, the kids were getting their shoes on. I was rushing to get my lunch packed, and I noticed that Zeke is just like grinning at me. He's like staring at me with this grin. I'm like, what? get your shoes on, buddy. What are you doing? And uh, we're about to head out the door when I reach for my sunglasses, which I keep by the door, and they're not there. My sunglasses are nowhere to be found. And Zeke goes, Dad, do you know where your sunglasses are? And I was like, Zeke, did you hide my sunglasses? And he goes, no, but I know where they are. At this point, I'm like starting to get angry. Um, so I'm like, come on, Zeke, we're running late. We've got to go. Where did you hide my sunglasses? And he goes, I didn't hide them. You left them in your office at church yesterday. This guy saw me last Sunday leave my church uh, office here at church, and he saw that I left my sunglasses in my office, and he didn't say a word. He just held on to that information in his head for 24 hours, like a day, so that he could delight as I discovered the next morning that my glasses were missing. This has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. Um, I just like to keep you all posted uh, on my adventures raising sociopath. Um, man, <clears throat> let's, let's talk about Mark 13. Let's get into Mark 13. We'll psychoanalyze my son in a bit. Um, Let's dig into this chapter. We're actually finishing uh, Mark 13 today. Uh, if you haven't been here, we've spent three weeks uh, in this chapter. It's a tricky section of Mark. Um, go back if you miss any of those sermons and listen because it all kind of overlaps. Um, but this is a hard part of Mark's gospel. Um, it's very apocalyptic. 
There's a lot of end-of-the-world-sounding stuff here. We've covered some of that over the last two weeks. But today, I really want to land this. Um, I want to get a lot more practical and talk about how we can cultivate the sense of watchfulness Jesus is talking about. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk to you about the difference between a code and a lens. Do we have that up here? Yes, code or lens. Um, This is something we've talked about in our Revelation Bible study on Wednesday nights. Uh, It's a lot of fun. You should come. Um, But I think it's equally applicable here. Are we talking about a code or are we talking about a lens? When it comes to these apocalyptic texts in the Bible, this scary end of the world stuff with like the moon turning red and all that kind of stuff, a lot of us were taught to read these sections of Scripture like a code we need to crack. Like a secret message we have to decipher. We get out our decoder rings. Do you guys remember decoder rings? Um, Or like, even better, I remember when I was a kid, way back in the 1900s, um, (laughs) uh, they they made these little like activity books for kids that came with like these red plastic magnifying glasses, you remember, or yeah, like, like a little red glass, and you would like put it over like a page that was all scrambled like blue and purple lines, but you'd find the secret message, the hidden code. That's how a lot of us were taught to read the Bible. Stuff like Mark 13, uh, the book of Revelation, sections of, of the book of Daniel. We were taught to crack the code, staying awake, um, being, being alert, meant reading the signs of the times, deciphering these scary parts of the Bible and figuring out how they're being fulfilled today. So like when the book of Revelation talks about like giant hornets coming out of the earth with like armor plating, that has to be helicopters, right? Like that's, that's like where our minds go. John was seeing helicopters. Um, or when we read about the beast who threatens the world, well that must be Russia. Uh, unless you're Russian and then that must be America. <laughs> like that's, that's how we handle these. Um, if we read about the Antichrist, that's got to be whatever political leader we don't like. You know, that, that shifts uh, from generation to generation. This is how a lot of us were taught to approach these texts. It's how we've read these parts of the Bible for, for decades, for generations, even though, for some strange reason, all our predictions about how the prophecies of Scripture are being fulfilled in our time never seem to come true. We just keep moving those goalposts over and over again. That's a code approach to the Bible. Does that make sense? Trying to crack the code. Uh, That's one way to do it. Another way to approach Scripture, though, uh, another way to read these texts about staying watchful is to handle it like a lens. Uh, I'm wearing contact lenses right now. Um, I wear them just about every day. Can't really see without them. Um, But I do something kind of stupid with my contacts. You're going to judge me. Um, I get contacts that you're only supposed to wear for two weeks, And I wear them for like a month, in like a good month. I wear them for like a month, you know, to to kind of stretch them out. And I know, I know that's like terrible for my eyes probably, as if like sticking plastic in your eyes isn't bad enough. But but I'm cheap. This is what I do. This is how I stretch out the life of my contacts. So um, a few years back now, I got two years worth of contact lenses which is amazing because that's like four or five years worth for me. Um, I didn't have to worry about going to the eye doctor that whole time. Um, But a couple months ago, uh, I ran out. I was on my last pair. So I went to the eye doctor at Walmart, because again, I'm cheap, um, (laughs) to get new contacts. And it turns out, over the last five years, my prescription has changed. My eyes have gotten worse. Um, So I get this new prescription, 
the eye doctor gives me a trial pair to wear until my, my actual lenses come in. I put these things in my eyes, and it was like the heavens were open, right? <laughs> like, like I stare uh, into the white abyss of the Walmart Supercenter. And like I can... <laughs> I, I can see the far wall at, like, the other side of the store. I've forgotten that it's possible to see that far away. I'm, like, I'm, I'm walking down the aisles, like, looking at the top shelf, like, look at all the boxes. It was, it was a religious experience. All that to say, the lenses we wear when we look at the world make a huge difference. What if the Bible is not primarily a code we have to crack? but a lens we're called to look through. What if the purpose of these apocalyptic stories isn't to figure out, try to predict when this is all going to go, uh, when this is all going to go down, how it's going to happen? What if it's not to get some like holy ammunition to use against our enemies? Instead, what if the purpose of these stories is to change our view of the world, to help us see? I want to propose to you that when Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple in this chapter, something we've been talking about for the last few weeks, and when he draws on all this apocalyptic, end-of-the-world-sounding stuff, he's trying to shift our view of reality. I think that's why he ends this section with two parables. Uh, parables, if you're not familiar, are stories that work like metaphors. They open us up to new ways of seeing in the end of this apocalyptic uh, section, Jesus gives us two parables. The first is about a fig tree. Remember, this is a society of farmers. And farmers in Jerusalem, in that area, general area, would watch the fig trees very closely, especially in the springtime, because the budding of the fig tree was usually your first sign that summer was coming. So you'd watch the fig trees to plan the harvest. Jesus latches onto this familiar image, and he says, keep a lookout. Watch the signs. Learn the lesson of the fig tree and pay attention. Watch for the Son of Man at work. That's the first parable. Um, the second one is about a master who goes on a journey and he leaves his servants in charge. And the servants keep watch. They stay alert, alert because you never know when the master is going to return. You don't want to be caught sleeping on the job, so they keep a lookout. And Jesus says we should do the same thing. Stay alert. Stay awake. Or as I've translated it on the front of our bulletins, stay woke, right? I don't know if there's another phrase uh, in the English language that is as loaded right now as stay woke, right? Um, if you're not familiar with the term woke, uh, congratulations, you probably haven't watched cable news in about three years. Um, stay woke is a phrase that actually got its start uh, in the African-American community, and it really took off uh, among activists. Um, it's a way of saying, pay attention, especially with matters of justice. Be aware of what's going on in the world. When you're woke, it's like you've woken up to the imbalances, the evils, the things that a lot of us don't have the lenses to see. That's how it started. Uh, more recently, though, the phrase woke has almost become a bit of a pejorative term. Um, it's used usually uh, to dismiss people who care about justice issues. You know, like, don't listen to them. They're woke. Word has dropped off of use really quickly because of that. And that makes me sad because stay woke it's pretty much exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage. Stay awake. Keep alert. 
pay attention to what's happening in the world. What does it mean to stay woke? To have the kind of watchfulness Jesus is prescribing. How do we cultivate this? How do we prepare ourselves for the coming of his kingdom? We've already gotten into some of this. Um, Last week, we talked about practices we can do to help ground us in the way of Jesus. Um, Vince, don't show them yet. I want to test them. Does anyone remember any of the three practices we talked about last week? Tiffany, go for it. You can do all of them. Absolutely. Give it, let everyone else off the hook. Absolutely. Yes. Read the Gospels. Let's hear it for Tiffany because that was awesome. (laughs) Read the Gospels, surround ourselves with Jesus-centered people, and engage with Christians from other walks of life. That's what we talked about a little bit last week. That is a really good start, actually. Um, Go back and listen to that message if you missed it. If we incorporate practices like these as regular habits in our lives, we're going to be well on our way to having the kind of watchfulness, looking through the kind of lenses Jesus is prescribing here. For today, though, uh, I want to talk about three shifts I think we need to make. Three adjustments um, that can help us remain watchful. And the first shift is from fear to hope. Usually when we get on the topic of like end of the world type stuff, there's a lot of fear involved in that. There's a lot of anxiety. It kind of mirrors the anxiety of our culture. Um, A couple weeks ago, we talked about zombie movies. I know that was a highlight for Zach. Um, (laughs) And disaster movies. Um... Typically, when like our culture envisions the end of the world, the end of the present age, it's not usually good news. Um, and we see just as hopeless a picture, if not worse, from some corners of the church. Um, a lot of Christians have this fear-based obsession with the end times because we're trying to crack the code. We assume that staying awake means deciphering things, figuring out what's going to happen, how is it going to happen, when's it going to happen, when is Jesus going to return. We read uh, stuff like the Left Behind books that we've talked about a little bit in here that envision in like graphic detail, almost like celebrating the end of days. We go down rabbit trails on the internet. Uh, We fall for conspiracy theories. All this fear-based obsession generates a ton of anxiety. I remember being a kid in youth group, I think I was like 15 years old, um, and the youth pastor was like, you'd better get right with God, because you don't know how much time you've got. You better get out there, you better evangelize, you better tell all your friends, because we don't know how much time we have, we might run out of time. As a 15-year-old kid with a dad who's an atheist, that generated so much anxiety for me. Of course, at the time, I also remember just praying like, God, let me have sex before Jesus comes back, <laughs> which, which, I mean, I was 15, um, and I have two kids, so prayers answered. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, though, we can go to some pretty dark places with this stuff, with this fear-based obsession about the end, trying to find answers to things Jesus tells us straight up, you're not going to know. No one will know the day or the hour, not even him. So what's the alternative? Um, If we want to get away from this kind of like fear-based obsession, what does a more hopeful watchfulness look like? How do we shift from fear to hope? Honestly, I think the key with this one is to ground ourselves in the story of our faith. Ground yourself in the hope of the gospel. 
We worship a God who created the world out of love. A God who made human beings in God's own image to partner with God in caring for the earth. And when things went completely backwards, God didn't abandon the earth. God didn't walk away. God didn't ditch God's own people when they went off track. God hung with them. God hangs with us through thick and thin. We serve a God who, when all else fails, took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, dwelled among us. A God who laughs with us, cries with us, walks with us, suffers with us. A God who died for us to save the world. That's a story of hope. When we see scary stuff on the news, when when society throws all of its depressing, distressing, destructive stuff our way, as it often does, we shouldn't be caving into fear. We shouldn't be getting our little decoder rings out to figure out, when is this all going to end? When am I going to be rescued for this? As Christians, we should operate from a posture of hope that embodies the hope of this story we say we believe. When you encounter darkness, start asking questions like, how would Jesus respond to this? What might God be up to here? Where is God working to bring life out of this death? How is God calling me to shine a light into this darkness? Those are the kind of questions that can help us shift from fear to hope. From there, I think a second shift is from condemnation to witness. Condemnation to witness. Uh, There's a lot of condemnation in our world. Our society doesn't give grace to a lot of people. That's not something we really excel at. Um, We cancel people both on the left and the right. Both sides do it. Uh, We write people off if they make a mistake. We jump to conclusions. We're quick to build walls and divide each other. And Christians are among the worst offenders. Uh, A few years back, There was a survey of non-Christians done by the group Barna. They do, like, a lot of religion research. And they asked these non-Christians to describe Christians they know. And one of the top answers among many um, was judgmental. That was, like, one of the top five. Judgmental. In a world full of condemnation that lacks grace, people are looking at the church and they're not seeing anything different. It's easy to condemn. It feels really good to condemn people. Uh, It makes us feel superior. It makes us feel like we're right. Uh, If you're operating out of a posture of fear, it's super easy to judge. It's really easy to get on your high horse and condemn the world and root for God to do the same. But God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And we're called to bear witness to that reality. Witness is one of those churchy words that make Christians sound really weird. Um, (laughs) If you grew up in a church that talked about the importance of, like, sharing your witness, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, In a lot of churches, uh, witnessing basically means pushing your religion on people, uh, trying to win converts, uh, convince people to, like, join your team. Um, It can often involve a lot of condemnation, ironically, uh, but I don't think that's actually what witness is about. True witness is about putting our hope into practice, to show the world that another way is possible. When the church is at its best, 
I think it stands as a sort of counterexample to the world. I think Christians are at our best when we are working right under the surface, helping others, uh, welcoming outsiders, giving hope to the hopeless. I think the churches that inspire me. I think of the churches and the leaders in the Underground Railroad. Um, I think of some of the Christians in Europe who helped uh, Jews escape the Holocaust. I think of churches in Southern California right now that are offering sanctuary to undocumented immigrants. And I think of churches all over the world that are just doing the faithful work of welcoming people, feeding people, and restoring people. One of the things I absolutely love about this church is that we help people. Um, That's part of our witness. That's part of the work we do while our master is away. Serving our community and sharing God's love with our neighbors is like a core piece of the identity of this church. And I know there are some people who don't like our church. Um, I know one person in particular who who comes to mind, a a person I know who thinks we are too accepting, too too woke, to use the language. Um, This is someone who's posted some nasty comments on our social media page. Um, They've tried to start arguments with me, and I usually give in because I am just as bad at this as all of you. Um, but, But recently, this person fell on some hard times. They needed help, and they had nowhere to go. Guess where they came? They turned to us. This person reached out to us because they knew we wouldn't turn them away, and we didn't. We helped them. That's bearing witness. That is showing the world that another way is possible, because it is, you guys. We don't have to follow the same violent, destructive patterns of the world. We don't follow Jesus to score points. We don't do this stuff to look good or feel holier than thou. When we love our enemies, when we show grace, when we forgive people, we are demonstrating the truth of the gospel. That's witness. Read the signs of the times from a posture of hope, not fear. Respond to the darkness of our world by bearing witness. And a third shift I think we need to make to our lens, last one, is from indifference to engagement. Indifference to engagement. We live in extremely disconnected times. It is really easy to become indifferent. Uh, With all the scary stuff in our world, all the pain and suffering, it's easy to just turn it all off, to like pull back, retreat, numb ourselves. It's a defense mechanism. And I get it. Like sometimes you need to take a step back for your own sanity. Sometimes you need to just shut down, watch some Netflix, and just like disengage for a little bit. I get that, but we can't stay there. That can't be our permanent posture. Not if we want to be ready. We can't shelter ourselves in our little Christian bubbles. We need to engage. We need to take on the pain of our world and do something about it. And I think that actually starts in worship. Uh, one of the things we've seen in our Revelation Bible study on Wednesday nights, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, if you read the book of Revelation, there's some really scary stuff. There's some, like, traumatic images and stuff like that here. The folks who are in that class are are laughing. Um, And for some reason, for some strange reason, um, the people of God always respond to these things in the book of Revelation through worship. You get this, like, terrifying image, and then you see the people of God worshiping. 
And then you see this terrifying image and you see the people of God offering prayers. When the evil of this world rears its ugly head, they go to church and they sing and they pray because I think engagement can start in worship. When we worship together, we should be tuning our antennas toward engaging the world. I think we actually do this during our prayer time when we share prayer requests and praises Um, When we take the needs of our world, uh, the needs of our community, the struggles of our friends and family, and hold it before God. When we name the realities of suffering and evil and injustice and lift that to God in prayer, we're giving voice to that. Then at the end of every worship service, we have a benediction where we actually send you guys out into the world, right? Right? May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. Take that peace of Christ. Take that hope into the world. Take it into the wilderness. Bear witness in the storm. Take that hope and manifest it by putting the good news we preach in here into practice out there. That could look like taking a stand It could look like going to a protest. It could look like standing up for the vulnerable or speaking up when you see something that's not right. It could look like helping someone in need or forgiving an enemy. It could look like working as an agent of reconciliation. Our world is an incredibly broken place. Jesus came to fix it. He came to take these fractured pieces and put them back together. That's the work of the master, and we are his servants. We're the ones charged to keep watch, to continue the work as we prepare for God's kingdom to arrive on earth as it is in heaven. So stay woke. Stay awake. Remember the hope you have in Christ. Embody that hope. Wear it like a lens when you look out at the world. Bear witness to it. Let the hope of the gospel work in your heart and transform you and then propel you out into the world as the hands and feet of Christ. That's how we do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving this world, for entering into it, dying for it, and promising to transform it. God, we confess that it is hard to wait for your kingdom to come in full. It's hard to stay hopeful. Sometimes it's hard to stay awake. So God, give us eyes to see your work in our midst. Attune our hearts to the hope of the gospel. Empower us to join the work of the Son of Man by bearing witness to your kingdom and engaging our world. Prepare us that we may be ready for your return and not caught sleeping. Keep us awake, Lord. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at
at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.